Welcome to Bear Books Podcast. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. This is the podcast that introduces indie authors to their readers. Together, we're looking for our next favourite author. Welcome to episode four of Bear Books Podcast. This week, we are interviewing Drew Neary and Kerry Williams about their book, The Clockmaker, how they wrote that together. It's our first duo. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I have got to say that I did meet Kerry about maybe a couple of months ago um, when she dropped a copy of the book round for me because we're actually quite near neighbours and she was really enthusiastic and and really bouncy and really bubbly so I'm really really looking forward to this you know I suppose with with any authors you know yes it's their personality and it's their thought process and everything that's going into every book but if we likened authors to their books there'd be loads of mass murderers running around out there wouldn't they just though? Well, I'll tell you one thing that Drew said when we were chatting earlier. He said that he writes with music on and it's such an important part of his writing process. So I did wonder what sort of music do you listen to when you want to write a supernatural horror type stuff? I've no idea. Do you think I should have asked him that? Shouldn't you I should, really? Yeah, you should. You should. Tell us a little bit about the book. Give us an overview, please. Right. Well, the book is called The Clockmaker. And it's set just after the Blitz. Widowed in World War II, Annette and her young son faced a completely different life as they exchanged the devastation of post-Blitz London for the slow pace of a small village. The house they've inherited is old, its bones are still settling, creaking noises in the dead of night and the murmur of scritch-scratch in the walls. Located outside the village of Loch Nagar, it's been empty for many years. The unfolding of how the clockmaker made his plans, his meticulous preparations and macabre creations, all builds up to a series of gruesome, horrific murders. These have just one end in view, his release from that which has held him captive for centuries. I have got to say it's not a book to read before bedtime. Yeah, I am really looking forward to talking to Drew and Kerry because there are some really, really interesting little bits in the book that like bring the book to life, like, for instance, the construct, which I won't tell you too much about right now, but it's absolutely fascinating. And that's one of the things I really want to ask them about to see where that came from. One of the things that I was enthralled with was Buggy. <laughs> but I'm not going to give too much away. Yeah, let's talk to them now then, shall we? So a big warm welcome to Bear Books Podcast to Drew and Kerry, the authors of The Clockmaker. It was lovely to have you with us today. Hello. Thank you very Hi. much for inviting yes, thank us. You, thank you. you are very welcome. It's lovely to have you here. I'd like us to kick off by having the two of you introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about you, the writers, and what got you into that in the first place. Oh, lovely. Yes, thank you very much. Hello, I'm Andrew. I've done lots of different things before. Um, This is my first writing project, my first series writing project. I've written a few little short stories and things beforehand. Basically, it all came about from a meeting that we had, but I've never never written anything before. Um, I was a teacher. I'm a country boy, so we come from farm and stock, I suppose you could say. And so, yeah, so I'd never really written anything as serious as this before until I met Carrie. And we um we actually met on Facebook in um, an online uh, writing group, um, and we, we we started chatting, and that chat turned into a telephone call, and we talked and talked and talked for hours about writing and introducing ourselves. 
And it was Andrew who said, well, should we meet for coffee? I'd found a picture, an image on the internet of something called a lover's eye, which were very popular in the 17th and 18th century. So just a little a little cameo of an eye. And um, I took that along and we started talking about that. And about three hours later, we had a book, which was, <laughs> yes, which was called Optics. What's significant about that is that right from the very beginning, there has been this fluidity of cooperation, this fluidity between us as writers in which things just flow. So that's that's and that was what eight years ago. Yeah, when we first when we first met, it was it, it was it was amazing that from this picture that Carrie showed us, and we started talking about it. And after I don't know, it was, it was literally like three hours, several cup of coffees, far too many pieces of cake later. <laughs> and, before, and, and before we knew, it, we had a world. We had, we had characters, characters, we had plots. And this was just from a simple conversation. Like it just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. Yeah. And Kerry said, you know, we should really write this. And I'd always been interested in writing. It's always something I'd wanted to do from when I was young. I think I read the, the first book that really stuck with me was uh, The Iliad, Homer's Iliad. And that just, I don't know, for some reason, it just really stuck with me. And it was something that I'd always wanted to do. But I think... The, what I was doing in my time of life and that sort of thing when I was when I was a bit younger. I think now, after meeting Kerry, I think now was I don't know. It seems like the right time in my life to to try it. Mm. You know, it's just it seemed everything seemed to come at the right time. And when Kerry said, "Let's write it," because of because of so we, it was such an amazing conversation. Mm. You know, we, well, I was okay, so let's 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 give it a go. And so that was optics. So we haven't published optics, but within optics, the there was a tiny, minute character of the clockmaker and there was an online competition um and it had you know and it had to be sort of supernatural and it just popped into Andy's head oh why don't we develop this very small character who's only got about a paragraph in optics and the clockmaker was born and it took about three years from its inception to publishing so that that's how we met and it's just Flowed ever yeah, since, and we haven't really killed good. each other. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there's been yeah, no violence ah, at all. No violence. Yeah, no violence at all. No, it's, it's <laughs> that's absolutely fascinating. I really like that story. It's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. I sort of commented to Daisy about the book is that Duncan has no scamp in him. He, he seems to be the perfect child. Ah, uh-huh, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. He's even he's, though the poor little person. Yeah, I wasn't going to say person, but even though the poor little person, you know, goes through. Yeah, we wanted him to be a child of his time, and and Annette very much uh-huh. a person of her time. And so there was a lot of research that I did for Annette and Duncan, and we used a lot of. I mean, one of the books I used to research was Good Housekeeping, the best of the nineteen forties. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's good. Any lovely ideas to do with jelly? Yeah. Or sandwiches. And for Duncan, we we did a lot of sort of not research, but he had to be a child of his time and it, it was post-war. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's possibly April why he's not a scamp. He's a curious child, because at the start of the book, he's playing 
so like airplanes yeah with, or on with, the train with, on, with a boy in the train and he has things like a shrapnel collection for example which is what the boys in london and other places had had at the time and that sort of thing yeah but yeah he's and he's he had, he had, he had a bit of a rough ride he's father down that was one of the reasons why i thought perhaps he you know there wasn't that much mischief in him Mm. there is mm. that curiosity in him but because of what he's gone through and because the fact that his his father's not around any longer mm. you know was mm. that something that you know the the reason why you pitched him like that but i can see from the 1940s how that that could come about and by the way you can keep the book i'm okay i don't want good housekeeping from the 1940s i think i know how to make a sandwich by now <laughs> In, in terms of in terms of research there's a, a fascinating sort of a, like library and it's called mass observations 1939 to 1945 and it's it's always it's basically the um oral oral, oral history from the second world war oh. that's um been recorded and archived and there's a woman called housewife 49 nella last and a lot of what i wrote within the book came from her so came from you know a real person and her perceptions and experiences during the war so there was a lot of research that went on Mm -hmm. and had to go on really Mm -hmm. you know for the historical aspects of the book would you agree? Yes, and so like from from my, from my side, so like some of the characters are actually based on my family. Um, yeah. So my, my mum grew up during that time. My my grandfather fought in the war. A lot of the the, the stories that that we have in the book are from what ha- actually happened. And so my father was alive during you know during that period as well. So a lot of the history the, or the things that I put in the book are oral history just speaking to my and mom based on real life yeah, characters we, we, we use both um literature and oral history from many different sources i think that's fascinating i love that you've like brought all kinds of everything into the one story from here from there from everywhere i like brought it all together to create something that's that stemmed from whether to prune a tree or not i think that's yeah, amazing yeah, i know i know i know, I know, uh, I know. yeah uh, which is which is basically that that, that is yeah. basically what happened yeah yeah i'm <laughs> curious did you ever get around to actually pruning that tree at any no, point no it's still there it's as butchy as ever but i, I feel like i owe it you know i, 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 I owe it the conflict and so i feel like i can't bring myself i will have to eventually because the neighbors will complain but at the moment he's all right wanted to ask about Annette because a lot of the time she seems quite timid and quite out of her depth she doesn't Mm. handle everything terribly well for instance the without giving plot points away for people that haven't read it yet the um obnoxious neighbor (laughs) that turns up on the doorstep full of booze and and bad intentions um she does like the way you put that Daisy (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah so she seems not a weak character but timid and just a little bit out of her depth. So yes. is that intentional? Is she meant to not quite be in control? That's exactly it. So she's she's lived through the she's lived through the blitz and traumatized by the death of her husband. She has no income. She's got this very small child. And as a as a, as a character, although women found their voice 
very much in the Second World War in terms of um, helping the war effort. She's not quite as hardy as the land girls. We wanted her to be, to have an element of the vulnerable because Mm. then she's perfect fodder. She's a perfect victim as well. Mm. Very true. I do think as the story goes on, especially towards what the events of the end, she becomes stronger because of, especially because of her love and her will and, and her will to protect her child. She becomes a lot stronger, especially with the events at the end of the book. So I think she she grow she grows into a role of it from what must be traumatic and especially in you know in those times and to, to move such a far far away from London to, to the Scottish Highlands and all the rest of it. So I, th- I think she grows. She, yeah, she be, she grows her strength. She 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 finds her strength. She because she has to. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, um, because of circumstances out of her control. Mm. And in the perfect child, I develop her further. Oh, good Ooh. to know. Yeah, that that was one of the things that I actually did notice, that she didn't appear to be the same person at the end of the book as she was at the very, very beginning when they were on the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we saw, so, I mean, because they, they behaved, you know, people behaved in a certain sort of way. They had, you know, for instance, like, you would let someone into your house because it was, the you know, politeness and all, all the rest of it. They had a, a different way of looking at things. And she, She's not very worldly, even though no. she grew up in a city. Yeah. That, yeah, that's right. I think that's, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I was going to kill her off, but then I thought, <laughs> nah. Because by the end of it, I was, she irritated me so much. I just thought, oh, you know what? Just go away. No. Just, just. So, no, she is back again in, in the sequel, A Perfect Child. Yeah, that's a bit cruel. You could get lots of mileage out of Annette, really. <laughs> she's great. Yeah. She's, she's great. She's great. I, I really like it. Thanks. Yeah, I do, I do really like it. Yeah. When you have differing opinions on what's going to happen next in the book, who wins? We haven't A, killed each other, or B, actually disagreed yet. No. I think there will come a time when there is a difference of opinion as to the direction the book will take. Because of circumstances outside of our control, Andy will write independently, I'll write independently, and then it's the blending of those two independent mm-hmm. pieces of writing that we don't we'll just have to talk about it for hours and hours and hours but as andy said earlier if i feel that a specific bit won't fit with the structure of the current novel we don't get rid of it we just put it to one side mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it will appear in another novel because i think i think the basis of our writing is respect so rather than just removing a section say, about the Second World War or, you know, something futuristic, which Andy might have written, which may not be appropriate. Yeah, it'll end up in another book. Else, yeah. I, I think when, when, when we're doing the, the blending uh, part, we, we have the ideas, we, we have like scaffolding of ideas and we, yeah. we, we build on each other's ideas. So we, we, we take it and we develop it. And so rather than going, I hate this bit, I don't like this bit or whatever, because that hasn't, hasn't actually happened. Mm. We, we sort of like... A bit like our first meeting, really. It, it's kind of like a, a carbon copy of that, really, where like we we have an idea, and it goes. We we mould it together. We we each add a layer, add a little piece, a little fragment. Yeah. So, and, for and example, so Andy wrote most of the constructs, so the description, the settings that they were in, um, how they were made with the wire and the bone, and Andy developed the character of the clockmaker, how he looked, what clothing he wore where he had been prior to ending up in in the UK and why. And then I developed Annette and Duncan, 
So we had very specific characters and then we would talk about them. And that's when, and it's the merging really oh, then oh, that oh. becomes, the, the, that's the most complex is the merging of two voices. But it's also the best part. It's, it's, it, well, it is. It's a part. It's a part where, where when you mix it together, when you have various different pieces that you've done by yourself, or we we talk on the phone a lot. Uh, you know, we, we talk on Facebook and stuff like that. It's not just. We, it's not in total isolation. You know, we we do communicate all the way along. For example, in the Perfect Child, we introduced traveling people, and it was just something that it was a tiny little half a phrase that Andy had sent me in an email, and then. I that just sparked off something in me and I did mm. massive amounts of research mm. on on traveling people from the from the 1800s so there's a lot of sparking mm. but no we, we we've never disagreed no and it flows it, it does flow yeah and I actually prefer to write together yeah. because I've yeah. got no discipline whatsoever so when it comes to the actual writing then Mm. Do you both write different parts of the book? Is it your style of writing, Drew, in one part and carries in another? No, we both write. So, and all Andy's writing's in there, my, my writing's in there. Uh, but what we did with the clockmaker is we just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then I, I brutally edited it for two years. Crikey. Mm, did my head in. Yeah. But that, I think that was the most important part of it. Although Andy's words are in there and my words are in there, it was my job. And it was, it was, I, I had Andy's permission. Yeah. I didn't have to beat him in order to to blend two voices to make it believable and not disjointed. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question, mm-hmm. Daisy. Thank mm-hmm. you. I did notice that sometimes the sentence constructs changed. So you mm-hmm. went from yeah. long and flowing to quite short, sharp and to the point, And it mm-hmm. would flip between the two. And how that, did you that, find it? Can I ask your opinion? How did you find that? Because that was on purpose. Initially, if I'm honest, I was a little bit confused. I'm like, well, we've gone from really long flowing and extremely descriptive sentences. And mm. then conversely, you'd have a sentence that's like two words long or, you know, mm. four or five words long. And it's like short and sharp. And, and I'm like, mm. oh, and my brain was just like it was it was making me think harder. Well, I thought as I was reading it, this, this is like two separate people's brains at work because you've mm. got the long flowing descriptive and you've got the short and sharp and to the point. Mm. And, I, and that was, that's what made, what made me want to ask the question is like, is that because one of you is more descriptive and one of you is more to the point and both of your writings are in there? And obviously that was a yes. <laughs> I think I think as well, I think it depends on what, what we're writing. From, from my personal point of view, so some of the bits like the more the more actiony scenes are, are seem a bit more short set, short sentence because it's all like it, the, the way the the way the action happens to the point so you have a you know a, a picture of what's actually happening mm-hmm. and then well the more descriptive scenes I don't know I think it depends on the mood like when he, when the clockmaker wakes up or um, you know things like that I think it depends on the Duncan's mood. dream yeah yeah Duncan's Duncan yeah Duncan so so when I'm writing Duncan's dreams. Yeah, so it's, I think more the, the supernatural. We chose to make it more to the point. So, floral. So, so yeah, so it's so it's faster when you read it. So it gets the heart yeah. racing just a little bit faster. So you know, like, a bit like the the beat of a music in a movie where you have like the you know the the long flowing melodies of certain yeah. parts. You know, when the when the fighting or whatever starts, you know, you have a bit of a faster beat. 
Mm. I think. I think. I think. Excellent. Yes. That makes sense. If that make, does that make sense? Yes. Yes, yeah. it does. Um, I I love the dream sequences. I love yeah. where you've got Duncan's dream and you've got the two planes coming either side of Santa and his sleigh. That is so typical of a little boy's dream. Yeah, and in wartime. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. That's good. That was Andy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, wrote, <laughs> yeah I wrote the dreams. I wrote the dreams. Yeah, yeah no, oh, that's lovely. Yeah, and yeah, that, that was basically it. Yeah, young boy, that age. Those are things he would he would he would have in his mind, you know. Yeah. But the tree wasn't involved in that bit, was it? No, the tree wasn't involved. And it's all like explained part of the story. Explain yeah. a little bit about about him, his personality. When I read the ending, I thought, mm, "There's more to come here now." Thank you, April. Yes. Yeah. So, when can we be expecting the more to come? Well, we obviously we live in difficult times at the moment and you know a lot of it's written and done and, and it, it, when covid and time allows we've got about three hundred thousand words but it's very 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 disjointed at the moment it was meant to be finished this last may yeah but obviously but uh, it, it, the, the major problem is not being able to get together i mean we've we've managed to negotiate yeah, now, this yeah. to see you two lovely people but yeah it's flattened us in in many ways in terms of getting it finished so we would like mm-hmm. it to happen by next may yeah yeah we do need to have an end regardless because otherwise it could just go on and on mm. i don't know i could actually kind of sort of disagree with you there that there doesn't actually need to be an end because i think that when you got to the end of the book the clockmaker mm-hmm. and i was like well what happens next and I think that's possibly a good thing that, you know, you keep people guessing, you keep people wanting more. Mm. Yeah, that, that was, I mean. Do you not think, though, that people, I mean, this is a conversation Drew and I have had in the past. Do you not think people might think, oh, I'm not waiting any longer? What do you think? No, absolutely not. No. No, I collect authors, if you like. For example, Stephen King. Yeah, he wrote a series called The Gunslinger. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it is seven huge novels that all run in the same story. And he did it over years. So, oh. no, I don't think the time lapse will make any difference whatsoever. Because when you have a book, it's right there on your shelf. And if your readers are anything like myself personally, I'm a rereader. So I will have my favourite books that I will go back to years down the line and reread them because at that point where I read it a second time, I am a different person and I read a book differently and I see things differently and you take different things from the same story years down the line. So, no, I don't think the time will hurt. That's an amazing way to put it, Daisy. That's something I've struggled with because obviously we don't want to rush it. We want to make it as good as we can. Yeah. That's allayed some of my worries. Yeah, I mean, I, I, agree, I agree with what you say. We talk with with people still about the first one, and I think people people understand, you know, mm. the, the the situation that everyone is in. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I, I, yeah, I, love, what, I love, yeah, I love what you say about how we read read when you reread a book, you, you get a different. A and you're coming back as a different person. Yeah, that's well, amazing. Well, well, you are a different person. You know, time's moved on, your life's moved on, your ideas have moved on. But it's also the same with writing. I always wonder, like, if I wrote The Clockmaker now, or would I write the same yeah. thing? If I was standing in the garden, I wouldn't, you know, I think, you know. Would the tree speak to you? We would it be the same. <laughs> and I think just as much as a writer would, we would write a different sentence, yeah. then perhaps uh, the whole thing would change. 
So yeah, all this people. amazing waxing lyrical about the book and your partnership and everything, I feel like we're being a little bit selfish keeping it all to ourselves in one episode. Where can people go and find you online to find out more about you? We're on Twitter. Yeah. We've got Instagram. Yes. We we are, we are further developing our uh, website um, on Wix.com and we, we've got a website in production so i'm just waiting for that to to happen and facebook of course we're on facebook as well so i we love talking to people we're in we're in bookshops as well so you know you yeah, can you can't can just order, order yeah from we're in a lot quite a lot of indie books yeah and, and libraries and, and waterstones places like that they, they'll they either stock us or they'll or they'll, or they'll order in we're in quite a few libraries as well yes, so people right, just snip yeah. in and take us off the shelves well one of you's done some brilliant marketing legwork then <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's lovely. The first time you walk into Watson's and see a book in a shop. My, oh, God, yes. My local village of Morpeth in Northumberland. So, like, over oh, there, I think they were the first that had it. Yeah, online. Online is great. There's lots of online sites that actually sell it. Uh, it's on Kobo. It's on yeah, um, Barnes & Noble. Barnes and & Noble. And so the electronic version as well. So, if Kindle's your thing, yeah. it's also cheaper as well. You know, yeah. If I had a book in Waterstones on the shelf, I'd be tempted to stand beside it all day going, that's my book. That's it. You know, I almost... <laughs> Whenever I anybody walked past it. I, I, took, I took a photograph. We took a photo. I took a photograph. I was Excellent. Like, wow. And it was just... Because my, my children were with me as well, and it was a really lovely moment. But the first time that that anyone was reading my book, my mum was in a, a cafe in, in, in Walpeth with her friends, and there was a lady came and sat into the, into to a table next to her, and she got the book out and started reading it. And she was like, "That's my son's book." <laughs> that was that was just that, and somehow this person had got it earlier. I don't know how. Then my mum had actually got it, and it was just like that was you know, that was a lovely moment. The first signing, the first signing. I mean, I like this with you yeah, too. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's like a yeah. moment as well. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It, it, it is. It's wonderful. It has been amazing to meet the two of you and you do bounce off one another and it's just been an eye-opener it's lovely to have sat and chatted with you this morning oh thank you well and thank you to both you and and april for having us and honestly yeah yeah so thank you for inviting us and it's been fun you're very welcome the pair of you thank you very much that was a fantastic interview with uh, Kerry and Drew. What what did you think? We've never got the chance to interview co-authors before. So we've co-hosts and co-authors. That's a lot of us on this one episode. More bang for your book, as they say. Yeah. Interesting, though, the way they work together, don't you think? Absolutely interesting. And, I mean, I must admit that the story that they've created within The Clockmaker, I do find it actually quite fascinating. I do like the constructs, as we said in the interview, I think. It's so clever. His imagination was obviously in overdrive that day. The things you can think of when you can't be bothered to prune a tree. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, glad that he couldn't be bothered to prune the tree and, and it did happen. <laughs> in, in terms of the sort of characters in the books, obviously we're not going to give away the story to anybody, but I no. absolutely am fascinated by the last paragraph in the book. That yes. last paragraph is amazing. Forgive me if I read it out, because absolutely. Well, I think you should because it won't give away anything. So in terms of this, Annette um, is mum, Duncan's the son. And, you know, if for those of you that have read the book, it is it's fascinating. It is. So the last paragraph of the book, and I thought that was amazing. So following 
The boy, Duncan's, gazed towards the mirror set into the wardrobe door. The book slipped from her fingers. That's Annette. There in the glass, standing in a brown dressing gown, half thrown over tartan pyjamas, a pair of feline amber eyes flecked with cobalt, smiled beneath a mop of red hair. Skin and unclean marble, cracked with veins of pitch split into a smile of tiny pointed teeth, roped with viscous, oily saliva. Hello, mummy. <laughs> it's scary, isn't it, that bit? And doesn't it leave it wide open? I mean, when you, when you look at Duncan in the book, he, he kind of is a bit of the perfect child. In the fact that there's no rolling around in the mud or screaming tantrums or, yeah. or any of that sort of boisterousness. Yes. He comes across, I thought, as a little bit sinister. Because he's too well behaved. Yeah. That's sinister. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. It's not I mean, natural. I, no. I mean, I know you can say, right, okay, so he's lost his father, you know, so, so Annette's a, a, a single parent now bringing him up and obviously losing mm. his father's going to have some sort of effect on him. But no, he's, he's just, he, he's too good. Yes. It, he is, it's yeah. sinister. Anyway, speaking of sinister, what's coming up next week? Let me tell you. Next week, we are reviewing Leanne Carmen's book, Where the Truth Hides. It goes a little bit like this. Becky Morgan has a life most women would envy until a car accident lands her in the hospital. She insists she's fine, but it quickly becomes clear she's changed. She's forgetful, paranoid, short-tempered. Her husband wants to write off her changing personality to the IVF hormones she's taking in an attempt to get pregnant. Becky's life soon becomes one she doesn't recognise. Those closest to her are accusing her of things she simply can't explain or remember. She's terrified of losing everything, her career, her marriage and her dream of becoming a mother. Desperate to put the pieces of her shattered life back together, Becky needs her best friend more than ever. What she doesn't realise is that Jules knows something that could explain everything away. Becky has a dark past she's unaware of, a darkness that's coming for her. It could also get her killed. Sounds quite meaty, that, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, sounds like something I really want to be reading straight away. Yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Excellent. We will see you next week, then. We have been Daisy Ray and April Berry. Come share your opinions about the podcast, our authors and their books on Instagram and Facebook at Bear Books Podcast or Twitter at Bear Books Pod One. Submit your book for a possible future review to submissions at bearbooks.co.uk or if you've got any queries or any comments, email them to contact us at bearbooks.co.uk. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can find him on Instagram at dadnap.mp3. And if you like what we do here, subscribe and share. Thanks for listening. Thank you.